Okay, good morning, Women of Hope. My name is Laura Moore. I am the Women's Ministry Coordinator at our Cotswold site, and I am so thankful to be with y'all this morning. It is always a gift to me to be asked to sit in a piece of scripture for a few weeks and allow just the Lord to open my eyes and my heart's heart to what he wants me to hear. So I'm excited to share with y'all this morning some of the ways the Holy Spirit has been stirring in my own heart. So we're going to start the way that we started every other time, and that is to be silent. Um, I know we all come in with so much on our in our minds, and I like to say I'm always coming in hot. And so hopefully we can take some time to be silent and to invite the Holy Spirit in this morning. So we're going to do that, and then I will pray for us, and we'll start our scripture. So. God, thank you for this morning, um, for the opportunity to be silent and still. Thank you for um, this room, for these women, for the women listening. Thank you that you have brought us here to sit in your word that's living and active. Um, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to what you want us to hear this morning. Pray that you would calm my nerves and anxiety and allow me um, to just trust in you. Um, and allow your Holy Spirit to move this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So the piece of scripture we're in this morning is John 2, verses 1 through 11. I will be reading from the ESV version, and this is the wedding feast at Cana. Um, the first time I read, I want you guys to think about words or phrases to, that stand out to you, what grabs your attention, what makes you curious. <laughs> Okay, so verse 1, John 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee. We're going to start again. (laughs) Okay, this is John 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, 
and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. This time when I read, um, I want you to think about what is this passage telling you about Jesus, who he is, about his character. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, everyone, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Okay, this last time I read the passage, I want you to place yourself in the scene. You are a guest at this wedding. Use your sacred imagination to allow this party to come to life. What do you see? What do you smell? What do you taste? Where are you in this story? On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. 
When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Okay, so today we are looking at a piece of scripture that details the first of seven sign miracles that John chose to record in his gospel. We are going to be looking at this sign, what this sign is saying about Jesus by framing our interaction around his conversation with his mother, Mary. So let's start at the beginning. In verse one, we're kind of given a timestamp, if you will. John is referring to the calling of the disciple Nathaniel back in chapter one. So we know we are two days after that. We are also told that they are in Cana and Galilee. This was no boomy metropolis, but just a small town north of Nazareth. So in verses one and two, we see that Jesus's mother is there as well as his disciples. This is the first time Jesus's mother Mary is mentioned in the gospel of John. And we know right off the bat that they're at a wedding. And back then, the purpose of a wedding was really for the commonwealth of the community. Um, it wasn't, the focus wasn't necessarily on the couple as much as the town. These communities needed bigger and stronger families to help with the economy and the security of the town as a whole. Therefore, weddings weren't just a you know, focus on the couple, but a public feast for the entire town to enjoy. So here we find ourselves two, two or three days in and the family has run out of wine. Essentially, the party would be over. This wouldn't just be a breach of etiquette, but really a social catastrophe. So in the scene we find ourselves in today, Jesus did not have to exercise his power. 
but he did, and it became the first of his signs he used to reveal his identity and glory as the Son of God. To our knowledge, this is kind of the beginning of Jesus's career in public ministry. So think of this like a grand opening at a restaurant or a recording artist putting out their first CD or you know, a company revealing their logo. In all these cases, you would choose your first public presentation with enormous care. You would want all the details to speak to who you are and what you are about. So let's think about Jesus. Why this setting for his first sign or miracle? He's not healing the sick. He's not restoring sight to the blind. Why would Jesus decide that a quintessential signifier of who he is about was to keep a party going? I mean, I love that, but why is that important? What do we know about Jesus's character in all of this? So let's keep walking through our passage to kind of unpack that. So picking up in verse three, Jesus Jesus's mother says, they have no more wine. Um, I asked my sister kind of off the cuff, hey, what's my biggest fear? She didn't say spiders. She didn't say fear of heights. She said running out of food. I have this comical obsession with Costco hauls and having a surplus of food because I hate the feeling of running out. So I can deeply relate to Mary right now when she says, ah, they have no more wine. Why do you think she chose to engage Jesus right here? We do know that she knows that he is the son of God. We aren't sure if she perhaps has seen him as her son exert some power or some small miracles. Perhaps she is literally wanting him to turn this water to wine. Or maybe she's like secondhand awkwardness for this family and just can't stand watching them squirm and not have the wine that they need. And I can relate to that as well. So one would assume, based on the weight of the wedding feast, as I mentioned earlier, that the bridegroom would have felt some sort of shame and guilt in running out of wine. Have you ever found yourself saying, they have no more wine? Or like the bridegroom, I have no more wine. I have nothing else to offer from my own resources. What does it feel like to be exposed in your inadequacies? Does it feel like, what does it feel like to not have enough or be enough according to the world's standards? Here we see there is a need for more wine that isn't being met. Personally, I love to be needed and I can't stand to be needy. It feels like death, if I'm being honest. Do you hear the lie that it's all up to you, that you should be enough? So, so often I feel like we can be caught in the shame and guilt of not being enough when we, were, we are relying on our own resources and strength. In doing this, we keep running out and falling short over and over. Perhaps we feel the pressure of unobtainable expectations that others put on us or maybe we put on ourselves. When I feel the pulls of this world, the texts I can't respond to, the haunting to-do list, the three kids that want to play three different games, the emails that remind me that I forgot to send a meal to someone, um, I often jokingly sing the song out loud, Never Enough, from The Greatest Showman, because I feel that, right? Like, I just can't do it all. Um, for me, personally, I have recently felt a shift in motherhood. Um, the diapers and the cribs and the naps went away, and I realized my boys needed me in a completely new way. 
Um, It has looked like slowing down and listening to shepherd their hearts. In this, I hear such a loud lie that I have nothing to offer them. Me, just a mom to these three wild man cubs. I don't have the right words. I can't relate to them or surely I will say or do something wrong. And that does happen. Um, And I have truly felt like I have run out of my own motherhood resources, if you will. When have you realized out of your own resources, you can't perform enough, you can't mom enough, you can't show up enough for others, you don't have the time or the resources to meet these needs? So Mary makes a statement, and then Jesus responds to her in a rather interesting way. He says, woman, why do you involve me? And Cindy touched on this briefly in her passage the other week. This can read as cold or disrespectful. And as a mom, let me tell you, when my boys get a toe with me, they get their mouth washed out or they go to time out. And I was also once a moody, sassy teenager. And when I got a tone with my mom, I got grounded. But this is not what's happening here. This is not derogatory or disrespectful. The translations make it hard to get the tone just right. When he says woman or like ma'am in today's culture, He isn't being disrespectful, but really just abrupt. He's almost shutting her down. One commentary described it as polite distance. And Jesus goes on to say in verse four, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. He is saying to his mom, this is not your place to call out my power. But we know what happens, right? He, he turns around and takes care of it. So he could have just said, sure, mom, I'll do that. I'm so happy to do that for you. Um, that is what he did, but that's not what he said. So why does he speak to her like this? His miracles can't be at other people's disposal. His loyalty is to his heavenly father and his father's will. This hour he's referring to is the hour of his death on the cross when he will die for sinners and take away the sins of this world. My hour of death is not here, but I'll give you a sign of my death, a metaphor of what my death will mean for you. So what is happening? We know that from the rest of the gospels, Jesus doesn't get easily irritated. He loved perfectly even in his humanity. He didn't didn't say things he regretted, which must be nice. I don't know what that's like. And even when he was being tortured or spit on, he never spoke harshly or used angry words. This is not just moody Jesus. Something is weighing heavy on his heart. And I'm going to pick back up on that later. But I want to keep walking through the passage and look at verse 5 and how Mary responds. So Mary probably didn't really know what, the, what his phrase, the hour, meant, but she knew her son, right? And she knew his response was sharp and really emotional. She didn't argue or ask him to explain or walk away and discuss like most parents would, but she remembers. She remembers what the angels told, told her in Luke 1 that she will bear a son and call his name Jesus and that he will be called the son of the most high. She knows, right? She knows Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the son of God. And as far as we know, she is the only one at this time that knows that. How wild is that? I just love that intimacy right there. 
how deeply she knows her son. She goes on to the servants attending to the wedding and says this phrase, do whatever he tells you to do. How is she able to respond that way, right? She doesn't actually know what Jesus will do at all, but she is trusting in who he is. She is trusting in his divinity as the son of God, and that is enough for her. She has voiced her concern and desires to Jesus, and like Elsa, she just lets it go. No strings attached, no buts, no special requests. I don't know about you, but do whatever he tells you, that phrase really makes me squirm. I grew up in the home of an alcoholic and I learned early on when the chaos started to spiral that I needed to grip with the tightest fist anything I could control. Growing up, that looked like grades or athletic performance or food. In motherhood, this has looked like grasping to control nap schedules or daily routines or the, choosing the right school for my kids. Mm, I love the safety of control. And in this chaos, the chaos of the wine running out at the wedding, Mary doesn't grasp for control. She simply, she doesn't rely on her own resources. She doesn't run to Trader Joe's and buy more wine. She simply trusts Jesus. What does this look like in our own life? To name concerns and the desires of our heart and to entrust them to Jesus and to let go. The reality is I will never be able to meet the emotional needs of my boys. And the good news is that Jesus can. I can let go of the grip I have on wanting to be everything for them and entrust them to Jesus, which isn't easy. If I am not trusting in Jesus, what am I trusting in? In my own abilities, in the falsehood of control, in my competency, in my efficiency, in myself. But Mary, she trusted in Jesus and who he was for who he was. So I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> something was weighing on Jesus and the way he responded. I don't know, well, have you ever attended a wedding and almost found yourself daydreaming? Maybe you were a little girl or even now, every wedding you attended, you found yourself dreaming of your own. Perhaps you're divorced and you find yourself questioning what happened. Or perhaps you're married or widowed and attending a wedding almost feels nostalgic. I wonder if this is what Jesus was doing in this moment. Maybe he was thinking of his own wedding, not an earthly one, we know he didn't get married, but the wedding feast of the lamb to come with abundant joy and also utter horror, realizing the path of suffering it would take to get there. Perhaps in his humanity, he was kind of nervous about officially beginning his ministry, knowing everything that would unfold. Tim Keller paraphrases Jesus's response to Mary in this way. Mother, for my people to fall into my arms, I'm going to have to die. For my people to drink the cup of joy and the festival blessings, I'm going to have to drink the cup of justice and punishment and death. So picking back up in verse six, Jesus tells the servants to fill the six jars, about 20 to 30 gallons each, to the brim. There are five bottles of wine in a gallon. I had to research that. So we're talking about 100 to 150 bottles of wine. That is a lot. Um, these jars were being used that were being used for purification. They were not used for drinking. 
In doing this, Jesus is saying essentially, I will take the purification rituals used by Israel that we read all about through the Old Testament and replace them decisively with a new way of purification, namely my blood. So Jesus tells the servants to take some water and take it to the master of the feast. So the master of the feast tastes this and he calls the bride and groom over, right? And he says, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have, have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine till now. He's saying, you know, normally people, you know, wait with the box wine, but you have brought out the top shelf. You have saved the wine for, that you use for special occasions, the wine that's aged to perfection. When Jesus provides this fine, fine wine, he shows us that he is the source of the future feast, the feast to end all feasts, the feast of the wedding lamb. We're told about all throughout Revelations. Here in this very moment, in this scene, Jesus steps into the bridegroom role and provides not only more, but better wine than the guests had had even in the first place. This hint of who Jesus is is developed more fully in the next chapter of John when John the Baptist says, when talking about Jesus, this is John 3, verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Jesus came to rescue this bridegroom from all the shame and guilt of running out of wine, from not being enough, to stand in their place to be the purification. All throughout the Old Testament, we know God wants to show us. He didn't just want to relate to us as a king relates to his subjects, but as a groom relates to his bride, as a loving and faithful husband. In the New Testament, we see Jesus step into this role as a bridegroom. One of my favorite things to do at a wedding is to watch the groom as the bride walks down the aisle, to watch him behold her beauty. That first glance, sometimes there are tears, sometimes there's the biggest grin you can ever imagine. Do you believe that this is the way the Lord sees you? Like the woman at the well, he sees past sins and shame and looks at you with the most tender and intimate eyes. That's the one I love. That's the one I came to rescue. That's the one I've chosen. Do you believe he sees you as his beloved? Last Friday, I attended a fairy tale ball um, at my son's kindergarten class, and I wore a ball gown. It was from Amazon, so not super fancy, but a ball gown and white gloves and a bejeweled crown. I got to play dress up, and it was so special as a boy mom. Um, and I'll never forget walking into the classroom. The teacher says, presenting Queen Moore. And I, walking in the room, my little boy, he is, he's my tender one. He looked at me in the eyes with the sweetest smile and he was glowing. And he held me a little paper flower he made and he bowed. It was so sweet. Um, and just the look of awe and love and tenderness in his eyes. Later that day, my friend asked him what the best part of the fairy tale ball was. And he said, being with me. Do you believe that the Lord simply delights to be with you as his bride? Can you rest in that? Can you trust in that? Let's be like Mary, trusting in who Jesus is so we can rest and the joy made complete.
in Jesus.